there is always some resistance. It's natural, it's human. And what I would say is if you don't experience any resistance, it's gone underground and you should look for it because it will bite you. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, a Quantivos coach and the host. And my guest today is Jackie Sherman, another coach here at Quantivos. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you, Brian. I'm glad to be here. Jackie, the topic of our conversation today is creating the energy for change. Why is this topic so important to you? I started my second career when I was in my mid-30s. It was in the organization development field. So I worked with a lot of leaders who wanted to make change and often were frustrated. They couldn't get traction. So I learned what we could call a formula or an equation that helped me understand what it took to support change and also allowed me to explain and talk about the elements that are required for change to take in a way that was easy for people to understand and it stuck. So what is the secret formula, Jackie? <laughs> okay, first I'll give it to you in quote variables. So it's really it's algebraic. It's D times V times F is greater than R. And if that doesn't exist, you're not going to get any change. So let me translate. The D stands for dissatisfaction with the status quo or with the way it is today. And that dissatisfaction doesn't have to be the same for everyone, but there has to be some that needs to exist or you're not going to get change. The V stands for a positive vision for the future, and that needs to be shared among those in the organization, or at least among enough. The F stands for practical first steps, a way to get started. And the R stands for resistance or risks and barriers. If you look at the equation, it's multiplicative. Everything on the left-hand side has to be greater than zero for it to be greater than resistance because resistance is always positive. There is always some resistance. It's natural, it's human. And what I would say is if you don't experience any resistance, it's gone underground and you should look for it because it will bite you. Let's start with that last point because I think it's so, so important. I grew up in the field of organizational change management. So many of the leaders that I have worked with over the years have viewed resistance as a sign that something is wrong. And over and over and over again, I've had to deliver the message, no resistance is a sign that something is wrong. Agreed. Because as you're saying, resistance is part of the process. 
I actually learned this from Daryl Connor, who's often seen as one of the founders of the change management profession. He likens it to entering into a relationship. And we enter into a relationship in sort of a honeymoon period because we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. In the same way with the change, if it's a big change, we're going in not knowing what we don't know. And as we begin to learn more and more, it's likely that some of the factors around the execution of that change and its impact are going to generate resistance. So if you don't see it, either it's gone underground or people are just shaking their heads and saying we're changing, but they're not. So I think that's a, that's a really critical point, Brian. If we think of resistance as bad, we will try to push against it. When in fact, all you do when you push against something is engender more resistance. Absolutely. Let's go back to the D here, the dissatisfaction. One of the challenges very often when I'm coaching a client is they're full of dissatisfaction with their current work environment, their current manager, whatever, and they have no V. So they have no vision of where they want to go. Starting with the dissatisfaction, how important is that if people do have the vision? I mean, I'll keep coming back to the equation. The dissatisfaction is the motivation to do something different. If you have no motivation, there is no reason to get off the dime. Nothing is propelling you to do anything different, right? It's like there's zero, which means the left-hand side of the equation is zero. So you can have a vision, you can know how to start implementing that vision, but if you've got no dissatisfaction, you're going to put your feet up on the desk and stay where you are, huh? Exactly. So I, I use this approach or this framework both to design change processes, to get change processes that are stuck, unstuck, and to support leaders to understand what they need to pay attention to in order to create successful change. So lots of times a leader will come, they're dissatisfied. In a sense, that's their job to see what might need to change. They often have a vision for better and they have some ideas of how to get started. So they're ready to roll, but the people they're working with may not be dissatisfied. So I work with them to be able to accept the idea that part of their job is to either foment or surface, enable the dissatisfaction that exists to surface. So one of the ways that we can do that is simply have a conversation that allows people to talk about what is or the current state and have it in a way that not only identifies what may be working, but also what isn't working. I really like that. Let's talk about vision. So I can be motivated to do something different, but if I have no idea what better looks like, nothing is pulling me. I don't have any direction. The vision does need to be shared in an organization. And there are lots of ways of creating shared vision. If you don't have a shared vision, then everybody's gonna move off their dissatisfaction in a different direction. I think that's so important in a couple of ways. First, getting to that shared understanding of where we're heading isn't easy. No, it's not. It takes a lot of tough conversations so many times. Again, 
I've seen organizations where the leaders spend a lot of time wordsmithing mm-hmm. so that each of us can, in fact, interpret it our own way. And then, needless to say, the change doesn't achieve its objectives. For me, when I'm working with clients, I actually work around creating a shared story about the future. But it's not a story of the future. You know, five years from now, X. Because that's a head story. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't even know of many CEOs who get overly excited about a percentage point increase in market share or whatever. But it's a story from the future. Mm-hmm. It's a head, heart, gut story. It's a story that talks about the obstacles that we have to overcome to achieve it. A story about who's with us on this journey and so forth. And in fact, because the human mind treats story the same as the lived event, the story from the future actually begins to build new neural networks. Right, exactly. When you're working in an organizational level, you need to create that story in a way that it can be localized as well, so that this is the future for the finance department, this is the future for uh, sales, this is the future for our, our customers or our clients, and all of it is, in essence, uh, chapters or elements of the same larger story. Right. I would say when you have to start with the larger story and then the localization, the different departments or individuals are able to find themselves or put themselves in the story in a way that creates the localized vision. And all of that, because one of the things that leaders often find hard to understand is organizations don't change, people change. Exactly. And so ultimately, that story needs to answer the question for each employee, what's in this change for me? Why am I moving from dissatisfaction to this vision with these different steps? That's one of the reasons why the dissatisfaction doesn't have to be the same for everyone. And there needs to be a reason why people are willing to move to something better. We're wanting to move to something better. A hundred percent of the organization doesn't have to be on board. You really only need 20 or 30 percent to light enough of a fire to move the organization. I think people think everyone needs to be on board. That happens over time. People either drop out or join, but there has to be a critical mass. And for me, one of the things I look for when looking to build that critical mass is who are the people who influence other people in this organization? And they don't necessarily have a big title. Right. They have a big network. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to F, first steps, practical first steps. So if you think about it, I can be dissatisfied or unhappy with the way things are, and I have a, a picture of what better would look like But if I have no idea of how to get started, I'm stuck in the mud. There have to be some things that you can do to start to move in the direction of the vision. And then we often talk about small wins so that you can get some momentum and start to create a sense of having some small successes. But you can see if if there are no ways to get started, you don't get anywhere. I want to talk about one of my clients in the okay. context, of, in the context of, of this formula. When she came to me, she was very dissatisfied with her job. 
She had a long commute. She was often on call. She wasn't really fulfilled in the work that she was doing. So the D was there. When she went to create her vision, her story from the future, she didn't have a whole lot of detail. It was, I know how I want to feel at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I know the kinds of people I want to be working with. I have no idea what I'm doing with them. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm known for my red blazer. That was the extent of her vision. I've worked with others who their vision was down to how they were going to furnish the the conference rooms in their new office and and so forth. But that was enough for her to get started. So notice, it doesn't have to be big. It just, or it doesn't have to be, if we think in terms of numbers, it doesn't have to be a big number, but it has to be greater than zero. Right. So that was enough for her to get started. She went shopping for a red blazer and she developed a ritual around her writing, which then began to inform her next steps in the journey. The ritual around the writing were some practical first steps, and then she could keep revisiting and developing. Absolutely. Great example, Brian. And again, when you create that vision, often I have clients say, I can't predict the future. And my my response is no, but you can help shape it. Right, exactly. And nobody predicted COVID. That disrupted a lot of visions. But you can edit them. You can change them. It's your story. It's your organization's story if you're working at the organizational level. And you can always edit it. We talked about resistance. You also attribute the R to risk. Yeah, I'd like to... Think about it as um, risks and barriers. And those are the things, in a sense, that draw out in us the desire to pull back or push against. It feels too risky. There's something in the way. You know, I don't think I know enough to do something. It costs too much. I'm concerned about what I'm going to lose. All of those can lead to resistance. Absolutely. So Jackie, can do you have a simple example of how you've worked with a client? Yes. Actually, I want to make it clear that this can be used at the individual level. The example of your client who was not happy with their work and had the germ of a vision for what better would be and was able to get herself started. Right. So that can happen at professional levels, Honestly, the the example that always comes to mind for me is somebody who wants to be thinner, wants to lose weight, wants to be healthier, but the want is not strong enough to get past the, but it's not really so bad the way it is, or I don't know how to get started, and or it's my doctor's vision, not mine. So it can be used at a, a very practical, personal level. I used it actually to shape and propel my own career change many years ago to propel a move. So let me talk about the client I I worked with actually on Monday. Has recently been promoted into a position that involves working with people who he used to work with and who used to work for him, but it's several years later and it's post-COVID. And while the people who used to work for him appear to be engaging with him 
as if it was a couple of years ago, he's really aware that it isn't and has a different sense for what's needed. So he was talking to me about, well, you know, should I just sort of tell them what we need to be doing? I said, actually, I'd recommend something else. You have to all have an idea of what is. How is it that each person would describe what's happening today? And can you help surface enough dissatisfaction or frustration with the way it is that could energize people enough or motivate them enough to want to create a shared picture of what better would look like? Because if you don't generate some frustration and have there be a sense that there's enough to want to do something different, you're going to spend a lot of time trying to convince people of where to go and how to get there. This would be an example where the change wasn't stuck yet, but it was about to become stuck and he could use it to design something different, to work with his managers differently, to begin to generate both the motivation to do something different, as well as create a shared sense of what better would look like, from which they would then be able to figure out how do we get started. I want to ask you about another example that, that I have of a client. She was in the same organization for a longer period of time, and she was tasked with creating a new team and hiring people from the outside. And she really wanted to be very intentional about the culture that happened inside that team. So literally, as all of the team, and it's a small team, four or five people uh, total, as they all came on board, she brought them together and asked them to describe the best work environments they've ever had. And out of that, they created the shared vision and it was very clear some of the first steps to take in terms of, you know, they wanted to be very intentional about building trust. They wanted to be very intentional about how they communicated and collaborated with one another. I'm curious because she succeeded. She absolutely succeeded. It's over a year now and her team is just humming. Where did this satisfaction come in that scenario? What am I missing? Let me ask you a couple of questions. Absolutely. Are you clear where her dissatisfaction came from? Yes. And that was? She had not been successful in creating that kind of environment in the past. So she hired all new people? Yes. Where might their dissatisfaction have come from? Because they weren't in the organization to start with. And as I'm thinking about it, you know, as I think about what is my best work experience, I also am surfacing in my mind what I don't want again. Mm-hmm. So there we are, dissatisfaction. A little implicit dissatisfaction that can get a little bit more explicit. And each of them is coming from a different experience. Yeah. But the shared vision allows them to bring enough of their experience together to create something that they want to have together. And I would say... There's a piece of motivation that comes from the fact that they took the job. They left where they were. So yeah. they, they had enough dissatisfaction with what was in their other organization to want to go somewhere else and enough dissatisfaction from their previous experiences on teams to want to create something different. That's enough motivation to move. 
Jackie, I find this fascinating. The, the formula is brilliant and simple to understand and to work with. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Absolutely. I do want to give credit where credit is due. This is not my personal formula. This is something that I learned many years ago. The original um, author, I believe, is um, David Gleicker. I think I learned it sometime in the late 80s or early 90s. Great. Thank you again, Jackie. Thank you. All right. Bye, Brian. Bye.